Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Today I want to talk about the will of God, the will of God. What is God's will for your life? Um, are there anybody, in, is there anyone in this room, maybe you have some tough decisions you're facing um, and you're praying about, God, what, what do you have for me? Um, you might be thinking about some shifts, some changes. Your heart might be moving in different directions. Uh, there might be some options in front of you and you're just uncertain um, as to whether or not which one is God's will. I'm hoping to, in some ways, help you navigate through that this morning. Um, and as you guys already know, uh, this is a, almost a two-parter. So last week, we talked about the rhythm of reading the scriptures, of being immersed in the word of God, so that your minds would be conformed to the image of Jesus, so that the decisions you make would look more like the word than the world. And uh, this is part two, um, but we're going to move from the rhythm of uh, uh, reading the word to the rhythm of discerning God's will for our lives. Amen. Controversial Catholic priest Richard Rohr said this, most people do not see things as they are, rather they see things as they are. And I agree with him. In fact, there's a phenomena that occurs in our brains that psychologists call cognitive bias. Have you heard of this? It, it occurs because our brains are bombarded daily with data. Right? There's information overload. And so in order for our brains to be able to access important information quickly, it develops, it creates shortcuts from our subconscious to our conscious so that it can access what it deems important right away. And this is called cognitive bias. Now, this is a really fascinating, interesting fact, and, and it really helps for our survival. It, it really brings much efficiency to our thought process, but it's also dangerous because it is the birthplace of distorted thinking. It's from cognitive bias where we develop generalizations, stereotypes, and prejudice. And in fact, one of the more popular cognitive biases, and there's well over 100 different, in fact, there was 175 on a chart, maybe even more, but one of the more popular forms of cognitive bias, and you might be, you might, uh, be familiar with this, and is confirmation bias. How about that? Have you heard of that? So let me tell you a little bit about confirmation bias. Confirmation bias occurs when two things happen. Number one, it occurs when we seek after and accumulate knowledge and data and information that will only confirm what we already hold to believe. Confirmation bias is when you already have a desired outcome that you want or a belief or a value. And so when you enter into the world to go on a search and collect data and information, all the data and all the information is basically pointing to what you want. While simultaneously, any information or any data that would critique your desired outcome 
uh, uh, that, that would perhaps maybe uh, uh, bring an opinion that is opposite of what you believe, you reject, you deny, or you avoid. Now, we see that. And we always have seen that, but now so, now so more than ever, with all our political tribally, right? We're all in tribes in this room politically. Uh, 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 we, we see that uh, um, with the pandemic, right? We have people who all have their confirmation bias, and, and, and Google is full of opportunities for you to seek after and accumulate for yourself a, a confirmation to where you hold, the place, that you, the place that you sit in, right? The position, the desire that you have. And so we see it uh, in current events. We see it with racism. Two people sit in one room. One can deny it. One could say it's there. Do you understand what I'm saying? And each can bring to the table their articles and, and their doctors and their psychologists and, and those that they read and, re, you know, research is the new word, right? Do your research, right? It's like, well, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Everything is out there. Uh, and so confirmation bias has been called selective attention, wishful thinking, or my favorite, ego-pleasing. It's the idea that we only see what we want to see. We only hear what we want to hear that confirms what we want to do. Are you with me? And again, we see this in politics. We see this with the pandemic. We see it in current affairs, but unfortunately, we see it with a lot of Christians discerning the will of God. Y'all with me? So here's what I want to do. I want to go over some typical ways Christians think they're discerning the will of God, but in reality, you're engaging in ego-pleasing. I'm going to try to go gentle, but you know gentleness is something I'm working on. My son has that fruit. That's something that I'm working on. Uh, but yes, he built. So I'm going to give you some typical ways over the years that I have heard people say, this is how they know God is speaking to them, or this is one of the primary tools in which they hear the voice of the Lord. Are you ready? Number one, I feel peace about it. I feel peace about it. Right? Have you ever, somebody ever told you the primary marker for them to make a decision is because they just feel, I just, I just feel this peace. Maybe you've said that. I've said that before. We've all been in a culture uh, that has said that, thinking that that's biblical. And can I say this? Feelings are not bad things. Emotions are beautiful. I'm so glad that God has given them to us so that we could cry and release trauma and pain and, and hurt. And so God has given us our emotions, joy, beautiful happiness. Those are beautiful, beautiful things. I, I want to make sure you know that I'm not dogging feelings or emotions, but they can be fleeting. They can be unstable and at times untrustworthy. Listen, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Facing the reality of God's will. Do you remember what God's will was for Jesus? The cross. He was not only wrestling spiritually, but physically his, his body, his, his, his pores were sweating out drops of blood. In that time, Jesus couldn't say, I feel peace about this decision. 
Anybody with me? And so peace, although a beautiful gift and could be something that would accompany God's will, that cannot be the primary way in which you determine as to whether or not God has this for you. Number two, the Lord opened doors. Like I am convinced that we use these because we don't want to pray. Like, I'm convinced that we use these two because they are quick and easy ways to want to try and discern the yes or no that really looks more like ego-pleasing than it actually is God's good will for our lives. Someone ever told you this, or maybe you've said it, you know, I, I know it's God's will because the doors are opening. You know, in fact, I prayed, close the doors, and, and I want to say that's a beautiful prayer. God will open doors and God will close doors. Okay, hear my heart. This isn't the, I, I, what I'm saying is this isn't the primary way. This could be a way, but it's not the primary way. Are you guys with me there? You're going to walk out here. Well, pastor, say, well, I can't pray this prayer. No, I know some of you guys. Well, I can't pray close doors anymore. Open. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this can't be your primary way in which you discern the will of God. Yes, the Lord opens doors. But you know who else opens doors and sets traps? Satan. He loves to set traps. He loves to open doors too. In fact, you know the worst thing that could happen to you? The worst thing that could happen to you is that you walk through an open door and you experience success. And you think it's God's will, but it's not. Think about that. The worst thing you can do is experience success and call it God's open door because you're confirming God's will based on temporal success. As if God's primary will for your life is to give you some type of temporal, external pleasure, success, status, power. Now we're going back to last week's message. Number three, how about another one? Man, I, everywhere I go, God's just giving me these signs. <laughs> right? I just get all these signs, man. You know, I prayed if it rains tomorrow, you know, and it rained. <laughs> right? You know, I, I, I want to move. I want to move. Like, I don't feel, you know, everywhere I went, you know, I don't know. What's a, what's a place people want to move to? Tracy. Tracy. There you go, Tracy. <laughs> Poor picking on the valley. Go out of state. That seems to be popular. Like, I'm going to get out of Cal, Texas. Texas, Tracy. Let's just throw them all out there because I'm going to say I'm going to say one Florida. I'm going to say a thing, and then someone's like, "Oh, he's talking about me." You know what I mean? Like, I don't want you to talk. Yes, I am, but I'm not, right? Uh, <laughs> right? So, everywhere I went, you know, <laughs> I saw I saw I was driving this morning and I saw a license plate. <laughs> it said Texas, you know, and. And like, you know, and, I, and then I went to the grocery store. The guy in front of me was wearing a Texas t-shirt, you know, Longhorns, you know. But I got home and there was a cowboy flick on, you know, like, man, I've been, I've been thinking about it, you know, pray, like, man, this is God telling me. <laughs> Putting out a fleece, right? All right, God, tomorrow, you know, if this happens right? It's all cloudy. <laughs> you know, you've, right, you've heard that, you know, if it rains, it's 80% chance. 
this, this, is, uh, this isn't godly. This is uh, selective attention, wishful thinking, ego-pleasing. How about number four? This might be a little controversy, controversial. You know, so-and-so is a prophet. So I, I went to them. Right? Can I say this? Discernment is a process. And it's a process that we can't bypass. Are you hearing me? God doesn't want us to just seek out prophets to tell us what to do. He wants us to seek him. And this is key. I believe in the gifts of the spirits. I believe in a word of knowledge. I believe in words of wisdom. I believe in prophecy. Don't let anyone tell you differently. I know there's kind of running jokes behind the scenes. Well, there's no altar calls here. And Pastor feels a little. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 100%. Don't get it twisted. I am not a cessationist by any stretch of the imagination. But I believe that everything comes under the subjection of the word. And that we can't be a church guided by emotionalism. Are you with me? Are you with me? I think too many Christians look at the gifts like God's versions of tarot cards, astrological signs, fortune tellers. That's how we look at the prophet. Like, let me go to a place and sit down and give them a tithe so then they can tell me what's next for my life. What's different than that and Miss Cleo? In fact, the scripture would actually define that in the Old Testament as divination. It looks more like paganism than Christianity. So take note of this. This is important. If you're taking notes, this is important. The primary and normative way by which a Christian discerns the will of God is through a mind that has been transformed by the word. Can't skip that. I know we do. We want to. But you can't skip that. The primary way and the normative way by which a Christian discerns the will of God is through a mind that has been transformed by his word. Y'all remember Romans 12, 2 from last week? Let's put it up there. What does it say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How? By testing through a what? Transformed mind. What does that mean? And we talked about that in depth last week. So I can't preach it again. Go back to the podcast, replay it. But here's what it means. When you're going through a process of mind renewal, you're using the word to deconstruct worldly patterns, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and to reconstruct it with biblical principles so that when you make a decision, you're able to see with the mind of Christ and not the patterns of this world. Amen? Okay, let's pray. And then we're going to jump in. As if we haven't jumped in already. (laughs) Jesus, we need you. I need you. All of us in this room need you. I pray that uh, your word would cut, but it would also cut to heal. Uh, Not to harm, not to hurt, not to wound, but to heal. I pray that um, everyone in this room would just feel loved, um, even if moments and times they feel a little uncomfortable or rebuked. Uh, But ultimately, I pray that you would have, uh, you would get the glory with our lives. Our lives are not our own. It was bought at a price. 
Therefore, we glorify you in our bodies as an act of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all good? We friends? Here we go. Here's what I want to do for the rest of our time together. Two things. I want to lay out a theological framework for the will of God, okay? I want to give you a theological framework. I want to do a little teaching uh, with regards to the will of God. And then number two, after we've laid out that framework, I I want to give you some practical tips, right? Some next steps with regards to honoring God in your decision-making, especially those decisions that aren't just clearly written in the scriptures. You guys with me? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with this theological framework. We're going to go fast because last week I held you captive for way too long. And so you could take notes. You don't have to turn there right now in the scriptures. I got a lot to cover. It's one scripture, uh, but it's Deuteronomy 29, 29. Are you ready? Deuteronomy 29, 29. And here's what the scripture says. Kind of right in the middle of this story, God is talking uh, uh, to, to, um, to, I was going to say Joseph. God is talking to Joshua, and he drops just this nug, right? Just a nugget right here with hot mustard and everything. Just reveals a little bit. of. I believe Catherine did a great job in a podcast this week talking about the character of God when you read the scripture, listen to that podcast, and, uh, and so this is a nugget that while you're reading, say, oh, wait, man, this is, tells me a little something about God. Here it is. Are you ready? Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Come on, say secret things. Secret. Y'all know I don't really do the call response thing, but I feel it today. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, say, things that are revealed, amen, belong to who? Us and our children, that we may what? Do all the words of the law. So there are two things here. There are the secret things of God that don't belong to you. But then there are what? The revealed things of the law law that belong to you, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, so that you may what? Do the words of the law. So when it comes to discussing God's will, we have to do something really important. We have to make a theological distinction. Again, we're going to go to class. Y'all ready for class? The theological distinction, are you ready for it? It's a distinction between two categories of his one will. In fact, there might be more categories, but we're going to go through two categories of his one will. Number one, there's his secret will. And his secret will is that which we what? We can't know. Anybody here needs to know everything? Just raise your hand. Come on, call yourself out. Are you me? Are you a controller? I want you to know I'm sorry, (laughs) y'all. I'm sorry now. This one's going to hurt. And then number two, we have his secret will, or that which you what? Cannot know. And then we have his what? Revealed will, or that which you what? You can know. Give me more of that. So let's unpack this together so we can lay out a framework biblically, not emotionally, so that we can then begin to look at things that aren't mentioned in the Bible, like should I take that job? Should I move to that place? Should I go to this church, right? And begin to apply the mind of Christ to that. Let's unpack. Number one, God's secret will, or what theologians will also call his will of decree. And I know that could be a little, me and my wife were talking about this. I know it could be a little confusing because decree feels like he's making it known, but it's what he's decreeing in the heavens. It's God's will of decree. So God's secret will or his will of decree, which is hidden from you. It is a mystery to us. 
What is it? Are you ready? This is his providential sovereignty over all creation, over all the universe, right? From the big picture to the minute details, God is moving all of history towards his ends for his glory. And the overwhelming majority of all those details will always be a complete mystery to us. You see that? Every detail, from the big picture to the small details, God is orchestrating it and moving it all for his glory, for his ends, not for your job. Are you with me? And then overwhelming, the majority of it, most of it, 99.9% of it, that might be a little much, but you cannot know. Don't quote me on that. It's not theological, that was more hyperbole, but you get the point. So as followers of Jesus, desiring to discern God's will, there's one thing that we have to settle in our hearts right now. Amen? There's one thing we have to settle in our hearts right now. No matter how hard you pray, no matter how much you fast, no matter how much you read your Bible, most things that will take place in your life, you will not be able to comprehend or control. You like that? I expected a lot more amens on that. I don't know why. Uh, so here is lesson one. I'm going to give you three big lessons. Here's lesson one. You ready? There will be many things in this life that you will not know. <laughs> That's simple. There it is. Amen. Let's pray. We'll get out of here. The will of God. There, are, there will be many things in your life that you will not know. Can I say this? This truth is humbling, isn't it? We're finite. But it's not just humbling, it's healthy. Just breathe that in. It's healthy. It's healthy. Why? Because there are things above your pay grade. Beyond your security clearance, they're top secret, divinely classified. And therefore, none of our business <laughs> and out of our control. So what's my role? You want to know your role? <laughs> our role then, I was going to say, shut your mouth, <laughs> for those of you who know The Rock. Anyway, our role then is not to worry mm, or work not to work or worry when it comes to figuring things out, but to rest and trust. Y'all don't want that. In the sovereignty of God. Mm. So what, is it, what am I to do as a believer? I am not to worry or work to figure it out, but I am to trust and to rest in the sovereignty of God. Someone needs this. I, I, was, I was just praying as I was writing this note, and I made a note here. So, you know, sometimes people, like, I, I move in the gift of a word of knowledge and wisdom. Like, I feel like that's, I don't typically, like, tell people, hey, this is what I have. Yeah. And so it doesn't always have to happen at an altar. Sometimes you're just walking outside, and it happens out there. You understand what I'm saying? Like, God will, in, uh, in usual mundane circumstances, the Spirit of the Lord will move. 
And so even while I'm studying, I feel the Lord on this. I put in parentheses, this is going to be a word of knowledge for somebody. And it's not too tough. It's the scriptures. It's a, it's a good word. But I just feel like this is going to hit home especially important for somebody in this room. Here's what God is saying. You need to learn to rest in my sovereignty rather than worry in your lack of control. You need to rest. There's people in this room. And again, it's a pretty broad statement, right? Like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you don't have to be a prophet to say that. But I just, you need to rest in my sovereignty and not worry in your lack of control. Stop it. It is destroying you. It's eating you alive. It's a weapon formed against you. God's secret will. Now that we've gotten that out the way, let's talk about God's revealed will. Amen? Can we go there? God's revealed will or his will of command. His will of command. And much smarter people have done this. So Philip isn't just making all this up, okay? This is, the, the theologians call this the will of command. And what do we know about God's will of command? It's clear and it can be obeyed. It's not always obeyed, but it can be. This refers to God's law, God's precepts, Psalm 119. And it's given to us right through the final authority of his written word, the divinely inspired word of God given to us, his revealed will. What is God's will from my life? Here it is. Are you with me? Now, what does this written word contain? A lot. But I'll just give you a few examples. Moral prohibitions. Like putting off all pride, envy, jealousy, covetousness, drunkenness. That's for someone too. Idolatry, sexual immorality, gluttony. Greed and lust, just to name a few in this text. But it doesn't just have moral prohibitions, but it also has ethical exhortations. Amen? Like walk in the spirit, renew your mind, take every thought captive, put on the full armor of God, love yourself, love your neighbor, love your enemies, Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. This is all revealed in his written word. And I think Paul sums God's revealed will to us really simply in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. He says this, for this is the will of God. There it is. Your what? Sanctification. Sum it all up. This is the will of God. Your growth in holiness. Your sanctification. And if I had to take the scriptures and Paul's words and simplify it in my own words, I'm going to give it to you in lesson number two. So if lesson number one is I can't know God's will, (laughs) there are many things that I don't know. Lesson number two is here's what I do know. The will of God for your life is to be formed into the image of his son. 
that too abstract for you? Y'all feel that? Can I be honest again? Too many Christians are preoccupied with knowing God's secret will rather than obeying God's revealed will. Very preoccupied with God's secret will rather than obeying God's revealed will. You feel that? I know I am, right? It's the unknown. We always want to know the thing that isn't known. Give me the mysteries, right? I mean, this is what leads people into places uh, 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 that are not of the word. This is what leads us to try to contact the dead. This is what leads us into astrology and signs. Some of you know your signs more than you know the scriptures. You can tell me every sign and who is this and what they do and what sign I am. And this is why this and that. But you can't know the word. If you are a believer, I'm going to rebuke you in love. You are following worldly patterns. Here's what's most important. God is more concerned about you being formed into the image of Christ than he is about you accumulating specific knowledge about your future. Right? Formation thinking, not future thinking. Are you with me? And this is going to mess you up a little bit. Here it is. We want to know, you know, do I take that job? (laughs) Buy that house? Marry that man? Go to that church? Move out of state? We don't want God to form us. We, we want a magic eight ball. Y'all remember those? That you can shake and it may be, right? Or like, yes or no. Our primary questions are not, what do you want me to do? Or where do you want me to go? But rather, who are you calling me to become? And is this decision going to move me closer to Christ-likeness or move me further away? Y'all with me on that? Is this decision, wherever I go, whatever I do, and that's important. Guys, I don't want to say just walk aimless, but are these goals, are these decisions going to help me look more like Jesus or move me further away? You feel that? We are goal-oriented. God is formation-oriented. We want to get to a place. God wants you to look like a person. It's not about what I do, but it's about who I look like while I'm doing it. In some ways, it's like, go do whatever you want. (laughs) But while doing it, what do you look like? Who do you look like? (laughs) Now that we've built a framework, you guys good? Now that we've built a framework... Looking at my time. Now that we've built the framework and learned some key lessons regarding God's will, we can begin to move practically. Now you're like, okay, this is what I want. Like all the pragmatics in the house. Like, just tell me, yes or no. Do I do this or do I not? But ignore that whole first part. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I'm there. I'm in that category. I'm with you. I'm with, trust me. I'm, I'm rebuking myself. I got my hand out. I'm pushing myself, right? We can now begin to move practically toward what I would call a rhythm of discernment. A rhythm of discernment, right? Um, 
So when it comes to specific decisions that are not mentioned in the Bible, um, I want to give you, I, I struggled what they call these five next steps, just tools that you can apply while you're in that tension of trying to discern, okay, I know the scriptures, I'm deconstructing worldly patterns, I'm, I'm putting up biblical principles, I'm trying to see through the lens of being Christ-like, but I still got to decide, <laughs> do I go here or do I not, right? Uh, so let me, let me try and just give that for you, and then uh, we'll wrap it up, okay? Here we go. Number one, can I just say this? This is the preeminent step here. Like, you can forget all other steps if this step isn't the primary step. Ready for it? Abide in the vine. A lot of us, we go into abide mode when the decision is in front of us. Right? We, go, we only go into abide when there's a catastrophe in our lives. Can I tell you, catastrophes God does use. Those are beautiful things. So how could you call a catastrophe a beautiful thing? If it wasn't for the blow up, how could you learn to be close to Christ, just calling, beckoning, looking for him, finding him, reaching out to him, praying? But that's immaturity is to live a life like that. Maturity is to progress to a place where the abide in the vine becomes regular habits in your life, rhythms in your life, so that you're no longer reactionary in your abide, but you are a person who's living a life connected to Christ, being formed by him. Amen? Amen. If you are not cultivating regular rhythms of spiritual formation, you are more oftentimes than not going to make ego-pleasing decisions. You know, rhythms of life, uh, spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines, uh, um, they condition the ear of the heart to hear the voice of the Lord. Any athletes in here, any, you know, just in general conditioning, right? It's very difficult to start running when you've stopped for a long time, right? So we play basketball, any basketball player, it doesn't matter. Maybe not an athlete. I don't want to limit the room. Uh, but in particular, we would always, in the beginning of the season, we would have to go through a, a period of conditioning in which you're, you're, you're actually expanding the lungs so that it could be prepared to, to uh, last. And so our ear, the heart, uh, needs to be conditioned to hear the voice of the Lord. Otherwise, we will ego please. And so rhythms of life are, 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 are rhythms that are not only helping you form you in the image of Christ, but they're conditioning the ear of the heart to know God's voice. My sheep know my voice. Amen? And so, I mean, what is the primary? The rhythm of Scripture. The rhythm of meditating, reading, studying, learning, reciting, uh, it just saturating marinating the word of God, a life that is reading and learning the word so that your decisions are inspired by the word and not the world. How about rhythms of prayer? You know, I heard this and I, 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 
this is just, I need to go back and find out who said this, but this is, um, and I'm going to butcher it, but a praying man is a man who is rarely caught off guard. Not that we see catastrophes coming, but that if you've lived a life of prayer, when the storm comes, this abide has already kept you in the shelter of the Almighty. David says that often. In fact, when you get to some verses soon where David in the psalm is going to talk about running under the wings, the shelter of the Almighty, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the seraphim in the tabernacle. What you're going to realize in the Psalms, one of David's favorite places was to go in where he wasn't supposed to go sometimes and lay where he wasn't. He, lo- he, wanted, he longed to lay under the wings of the seraphim by the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence was. And that's where his word was contained in. Mm. And he wants to run to the house of God. Anyway, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Mom, don't do that, Mom. Don't. Don't do that, mom. I got to move on. I gotta, here's a question you can ask yourself here. Okay, you ready? Here's a question. Am I regularly participating in those graces the Spirit uses to conform me into the image of Jesus? How can I look like Jesus if I'm not moving in those graces? There is a movement of people who will say, well, isn't that works, Pastor Phil? That works, right? right? Or aren't these, you know, these are just the basics, Right? And if by basic you mean the foundational principles by which a believer never leaves and continues to apply until we enter eternity, so we look like Jesus, then yes. But if you use the word basic like this generation, no, 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 no. No, it's not basic. You get what I mean by that? Okay, I got to go. Number two, I got to go. I got to go. Number two. Pray for indifference, number two. Right? So abide in the vine, and number two is pray for indifference. Pray for indifference. This is you're looking at decisions now, right? You're trying to discover and discern and decide. Some of you are like, well, it's too late. I haven't been abiding. <laughs> well, maybe you can't make that decision then. I would hold off. Anyway, y'all, y'all don't want that though. Number two, pray for indifference. Let, what, is, what is the prayer of indifference? Okay, this is a prayer that prays, Lord, I'm indifferent to everything but your will. This is an acknowledgement that you have confirmation bias, that you are an ego pleaser by nature. This is an acknowledgement that you have a preferred outcome already. Most of the time we do, right? Kind of leaning. And so when you pray this prayer, it's a prayer to be freed from any attachment to a particular outcome. This is a commitment to do the will of God. That's what I want more than I want anything else. Here's a good question to ask yourself here. What needs to die in order for God's will to be done in my life? Sometimes you need to do the pre-work. Before you can discern the will, you have to actually kill the flesh. Sometimes that takes a year. By that time, the promotion may already go away. That's okay. Probably wasn't God's will. And we all live in his secret will anyways because it's all his will. That'll mess you up too, but we'll talk about that another time. His revealed will. Amen? Amen. What needs to die? What a great way to phrase that. huh? I didn't phrase it like that. What needs to die in order for God's will to be done? Number three. 
get, giving you practical steps, right? Abide in the vine. They're going to get even more practical, right? Pray for indifference. Number three, seek wise counsel. This is a great place, great place. Most of us in here do this. This looks like you inviting wise and spiritually mature people into your decision-making process. And can I say this? If you have trouble doing this, it's probably because you have a preferred outcome. This is actually a really good way to check yourself. In fact, not only are you inviting people in, but here's a suggestion I would like to make. Jamila and I have done this. Actually, when we were discerning, and we're going to do a podcast on this about discerning whether or not to plant a church. We went through a process. But one of the things we did was we, uh, we wrote letters and invited people to go through a time of prayer. And then we invited our family in and we said, hey, tell us why we shouldn't do this. Yeah. See the difference? Yeah. Tell me why I shouldn't do this. Are there any cautions in the room? Any red flags? What do you feel the Lord's saying? Give people permission Right, because a lot of, we all know. Oh yeah, I invited people into the into my decision making. No, you didn't. You invited people in, but they're all scared of you because they know the minute they say something different than what you want, you'll get offended. That's who we are, right? I get it. We're very offendable people. And so you, if you can't do number three yet, that means you probably got to pray indifference still. <laughs> you got to go back to that step too, like Lord, indifference, indifference, indifference. I want to give people permission, but I find it it's a lot easier to take critique when you invite it. When you say, hey, I am going to go into this and be ready, it's going to hurt, but I'm going to invite people to tell me why it might be. Now, if you're on the other end, tell it in love. Jeez. Don't be so harsh and hard. Amen? Are you with me? Well, can I give you another tip here? Uh, uh, Try not to tell wise counsel God said, because then you just cut it all off. It happens to me all the time. Pastor, God told me. I'm like, so you don't want my advice. <laughs> right? So what you're essentially telling me is God has already said it. And so if I speak any counsel or any wisdom into your life that is opposite of what God said to you, you're basically going to put me in that box of whatever. You got it? Now, this is a tough part for a lot of people because you've been hurt by leaders and spiritual authorities. I want you to know this isn't the primary way which we discern. These are steps, okay? So I'm not advocating for you to be controlled by your pastor, that I need to tell you everywhere you do, everything you go. Do you get what I'm saying? And it's not just your pastor, right? You have mentors, leaders, spiritual moms, spiritual dads, people you love, people you trust. And my thing too is this, is if you've been serving under a ministry, under a leadership, for a, if you've been trusting them to bring you the word, then why are you all of a sudden not gonna trust them to talk to you about this? You spent your whole time, right, just kind of sitting on and trusting them with the word, right? On the other end of it, as wise counselors, we are ego pleasers too. And they know that. And they know we have preferred outcomes, right? Especially as a pastor. I'm sure a lot of people sit with me and think, well, he's going to do whatever he can to get me to stay. You know what I mean? He's going to do whatever he can to get me to do his preferred outcome. We're all having warfare in our minds. Right, but we're resting in the sovereignty of God, and we're, we're, we're depending on a relationship of trust. Amen? Okay, I got to get off of that part. So the question to ask is, who are those trustworthy pastors and leaders, mentors, or spiritual parents that the Lord has already placed around you that could provide you with spiritual counsel and direction? Number four, examine your heart. Amen? This is a process of examination. It's a holy process. It includes taking time for you to just answer key questions in prayer 
with the Lord. Process with God. Some people think I'm weird. Thank God I have masks on when I go for walks now, right? So now I can just do all this talking. You know, but before I'm going on a prayer walk and I'm just, you know, people are probably like, oh. or you put your earbuds on. They think you're talking to somebody. That works too. All right, but process, this is the art of getting to a plate, a quiet place and being able to ask these questions and answer them in the presence of God. Here they are. I'm going to give them to you. Question number one. And if you need this, you can email us and we can send you this. Is this choice consistent with what I know about the mind and heart of Jesus? Question number two, how will this direction nurture the development of the fruit of the spirit in my life? Number three, how does this choice fit with what others have observed about me and who God is shaping me to become? Hmm. Number four, how does this choice fit in with the overall direction and calling of God on my life? How will it affect those in the community God has called you to minister to and be a part of? You know, your decision doesn't just affect you. It affects a body. Didn't the scripture say we're a body? Parts, we're all affected. One cries, one moves. We all are affected by this. We're such a hyper-individualistic society, though, aren't we? Notice the questions that I gave have nothing to do with, am I going to make more money? You see that? You know, very rarely do I hear somebody say, you know what? I was offered a promotion. I, I was offered more money, but I denied it. Because if I took it, I'd have to move to another office. But yet in this office, God has sent me here because there are a few people I'm trying to witness the gospel to. You see that? And this final question, which really kind of emphasized what I just said. Uh, what is the primary driving force behind this decision? Does this choice value what is eternal and permanent or what is temporal and passing? It's big, yeah? I could spend a lot of time on that, but I can't. I have to move on. And I'm going to invite the team to come up. Number five. Ready? Trust in the Lord. You see that? See that? Trust in the Lord. Amen? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. But all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Mm. abide in the vine pray for indifference seek wise counsel examine your heart and then trust the lord at the end of the day you're gonna have to make a decision y'all and because you do not know god's secret will you're gonna have to ultimately walk by faith and rest in the sovereignty of god 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16 says this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is what? From God, that we might understand things freely given to us by God. And we might impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. Listen to this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are not spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, there it is, discerned, judges, tests all things. 
but is himself to be judged by no one. Watch this. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? See that last part there? But we have what? But we have what? But we have what? The mind of Christ. Let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, who humbled himself, who though he was what? Equal with God. He humbled himself into a form of a man, taking on the form of a man, even to the point of dying on a cross. Hmm. Lesson three, final lesson. First lesson is there are many things we won't know. Second lesson is there are some things we do know, and that's to look like Jesus. And the final lesson is we should want a mind that has been so shaped by the word that we see and assess all relevant factors with the mind of Jesus. Amen. One more thing. One more thing. You guys doing okay? Good? One more thing. One more thing. Can I tell you what the most difficult thing is about God's will? It's not determining what it is. It's actually clear. It's doing it. Want to know the hardest thing about the will of God? It's not necessarily determining what it is. It's once I know it, it's actually believing it. Can I, can I submit to you this? If you have a difficult time with the will of God, it's probably because you doubt that he's good. You're doubting his goodness. Feel that? Because if you knew that he was good, if you knew that he was faithful, if you knew that God is love, if you knew that he was for you and not against you, if you truly knew that he was good, that he gives good gifts, that every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, if you truly knew that God was a good Father, So the reason why you wrestle with his will is because you're wrestling with his goodness. And may I submit to you that you need to look at the cross to be reassured of the goodness of God. May I suggest that you look at the Garden of Gethsemane and you see Christ wrestling. God, if there's any way that this cup could pass, nevertheless, not, not, not what I will, but your will be done. And even if it's the cross, in fact, it is the cross, even if it's crucifixion, even if it's a death, you're good. You're good which means that you won't keep it there, but there will be a resurrection. Amen? See that? There will be a resurrection. 
Resurrection promise, resurrection power, resurrection hope. This, we have an anchor in our soul. Life and life abundantly. Peace, but not as the world brings. Even Abram knew this. Abraham, kill your son. But he knew even if he would, he knew his God, that God could even raise his son up. sometimes it's not a wrestle with what God wants it's a wrestle with doing it and that wrestle is a wrestle with the goodness of God is it good? amen in a moment I'm going to pray for you but can we just take a moment to respond just let this word sink let's sing together worthy suffering is going to be a way in which we are shaped and we are molded and we are brought into the image of of Jesus, of the son of Jesus Christ. Resurrection is coming. Hope is coming, but death. Death, that's what it means. So when we say follower of Jesus, to follow means somebody is walking. We're going in that same direction. Amen? Amen. So Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who has gone before us, has paved the way. So we might die. We might live. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Don't run away from suffering. Wrestle with indecision. Wrestle with tension. 
trust the will, not your emotion. Amen? Trust the will, not the emotion. Don't make your emotions king or queen. It's the will of God, the word of God. Because he's good. He's good. He knows what's right. Here's what I want to do before we dismiss. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If there's anybody in here wrestling through a tension or a decision, I want to pray with you. In fact, not only that, I'd love to just see you wave your hand. Just, I want to know. I want to look and I want to pray. If there's anyone in here specifically, attention, decision, that you just need to know God's will in that spot, in that place. Uh, I want to see. I want to pray for you. And so every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you. There's one person. There's another. There's another. There's another. Come on, any more? See about five hands. Six. Thank you. Seven. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Eight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, pray. Even you. You don't need to wait for the prayer. Just pray. God, there, I am wrestling through a specific decision, but you are actually calling me to stop focusing on the specific decision and to begin to look at what you're doing in my life, to begin to look at what you're doing in my heart, to begin to see ways that you are forming me and fashioning me to look like Jesus to look like him and so I accept your will I receive whatever it is wherever you send me wherever I go however but, but first before I do God I want to go to the direction that looks like Jesus the way of the cross the way of killing the flesh the way of lifting you high the way not glorifying my wants not my feelings not my will but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Come on, right now, would you just say, on earth as it is in heaven? It's right there. Come on, right there in your heart. Would you pray that prayer, on earth as it is in heaven? On earth as it is in heaven. In my heart as it is in heaven. In my mind as it is in heaven. Jesus. And even if there's suffering and pain involved, there's resurrection and there's glory. So that I would know you. Paul says, in the fellowship of your suffering. Jesus, we love you. I pray that this would be a church that would walk in rhythms, that would abide in the vine, that would move in a rhythm of discerning God's will so that we can be God's people on the earth. And so, Lord, I just thank you. I praise you for this for this church and what you're doing in each and every one of our hearts. And I ask that you'd be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Sunday. We love you guys. God bless.